You're listening to My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. Each episode, we look at the topics that can make our working lives difficult and explore how you can take action to improve things. We want to help you move from simply surviving work to thriving at work. My Pocket Psych is brought to you by Work Life Psych, a team of workplace psychologists who are experts in coaching, training, and structured development programs. You can find out more about how we help people grow and develop at work by visiting our website, worklifepsych.com. Hello and welcome to episode 62 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. My Pocket Psych is brought to you by Work Life Psych, a team of accredited and experienced workplace psychologists. I'm Dr. Richard McKinnon. I'm the managing director of Work Life Psych, and as ever, I'm joined by my co-host Pilar Ortiz. In this episode, Pilar and I are joined by Dr. Antonia Dietman, and we discuss her research into the power of conversations in the workplace, the social chats that bring team members together. Now more than ever, I think it's useful to reflect on the type and the quality of conversations we're having with our colleagues and what we can do to check in and say hi. As ever, show notes and all our other episodes can be found at worklifepsych.com slash podcast or on the podcast app of your choice. And you can get in touch with us on Twitter at mypocketpsych or via the contact form on our website. Thank you for listening. Pilar, it's great to be back. How are you? I am. Um, I'm doing well. Yes, very well. Thank you for asking. Hello, listeners. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode. We are still recording um, in the context of a, a global pandemic. So the first thing I want to start with um, is that we're recording this on the 6th of April, 2020. So um, that's important because we don't know when you're actually going to hear it and how the world might have moved on. We don't normally talk about recording dates, but I think it's important that you know when we're having this this conversation. Pilar, how are you, a, a very flexible worker, uh, dealing with this enforced home working? Very well, because it's also a Monday and I <laughs> took the whole weekend off, which I don't usually do. Because the my days are, as you said, they're more flexible. So I don't feel like I have to take the weekend off because I've done big chunks of resting during the week. But last week I didn't. So I took Saturday and Sunday off and it was a very good decision. Ah, that's really interesting. I didn't realize that you did that. Mm. So you had a, a traditional weekend. Yes, because normally I... As in a Saturday and a Sunday. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> normally on Saturday mornings, I go to my co-working space. And uh, now I can't do that. So, mm. uh, yeah. And also just the way that things, just the way the week turned out. So, yeah, I had a traditional weekend. Well, kind of. <laughs> as traditional mm. as you can be now. How that about you? That word has lost its meaning. Yes. Yeah. How are you doing? Uh, okay. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm beginning to miss my little office in the city. Um, but uh, we've got a good kind of rota here at home with who gets to use the home office. So you'd be pleased to know that I, I get you know, priority when we're recording, yes. which is good. I'm not trying to do it in a big open plan space next door. Um, keeping, I think exercise is the number one thing on my list every day. It's funny when you're told that you mightn't be able to exercise outside, you really focus on exercising yeah. <laughs> outside. Uh, that That's helping and the routine is helping and it's, you know, it's uncomfortable. It's a nuisance, but thankfully we're all well. And I think that has to be top of the list at the moment. Definitely. 
So um, I wanted to drop in another plug for uh, a page we've added to the website on worklifepsych.com slash working from home. And we're adding resources to that because uh, so many people are now working from home. Not everyone. I want to underline that point. Lots of people are still working in their place of work, doing really essential stuff. And uh, I want to thank them for that. They're doing amazing things. Uh, but for, for those of you who have quite suddenly been asked to do your job from your home, we, we've gathered together some resources that we think might be relevant, including a webcast that I did uh, last month. Uh, so I'll put the link to that in the show notes. And before we go any further, um, because today we're talking about the power of conversation and um, including a, an interview with, with someone who was kind enough to, to join me a couple of months back and uh, give some time. Um, the power of conversation is really relevant in this, um, the time we find ourselves in when we're all separated from each other. But before we get into that, I just wanted to sound off a little bit. Is that okay, Pilar? Of course, go for it. <laughs> I have seen so <laughs> much reference to why you should be more productive than ever right now. No. Online, I'm saying, you know, people I don't really know, really doubling down on the, if you don't come out of this lockdown without a new book or a new product or a new business. And on the one hand, thankfully, they're getting a lot of grief for that and people are pushing back. But I just wanted to underline, I think our number one mission is just to get through this. It's not to write your book. It's not to decorate your home. It's not to launch a new business. If you want to do those things and they were your plan anyway, maybe this is the time to do it. But for most of us, the last thing we need is another big project. Uh, and my worry is that people will feel there's a lot of pressure to be extra productive because you've got all this extra time. But I think for many of us, this extra time is spent dealing with what's going on in a, in a global pandemic. So it, it's not um, it's not comparable to anything else. So that's been bugging me. And I thought, if I can't talk about this on the podcast, where can I talk about it? Yeah, that is really terrible. Uh, <laughs> like you say, if that, if that was your plan and you find that in the current state of mind, with your current schedule, with your current setup, you can do it, great as you're saying. But that is very strange advice. Um, yeah, because with everything that's going on and, and our heads also, I don't know, different people do do deal with stuff differently. Um, mm. If that is going to help you go through it, great. But to, to be saying now is the time, well, <laughs> oh, well, maybe. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> well, you know, we're not all on a big retreat. That's the thing. <laughs> you know, this, this isn't is a thing. sabbatical. Yeah. People are at home um, so many people with their kids at home, trying to educate them, trying to share a small working slash living slash education space. You know, it's just not realistic and it puts a lot of pressure on people. So it, it, it's, it's not a, um, a standard context where we might talk about how you could be productive and get that dream project finished. And I, I should also say hat tip to David D'Souza, who retweeted one of those tweets that really just resonated with me in a, in a negative way. I thought you're pretty disconnected. Uh, I won't name the person. I won't give them the exposure. But I know that several hundred people responded with something a bit similar to me, which was nope, mm -hmm. <laughs> no extra productivity required right now. And it's actually something I mentioned on the the webcast um, that's on on the website, that when I talk about productivity, you know, I mentioned in passing, we've all got, well, many of us have extra time in our day 
that we would have spent commuting. What could you do with that? Well, so many people will be doing things like cooking meals with that time or sitting down with their kids and helping them continue their education or, you know, maybe having a nap to get over the anxiety or, you know, so that wasn't the time and that wasn't the implication that that's the hour you should be writing the great novel. It's think about that time and how you might use it for your own well-being, you know, rather than cranking out, I don't know, whatever it is you were trying to produce. So anyway, rant over. Uh, we don't all need to be 200% more productive just because we're in the home environment. If anything, we really need to focus on the essentials and just get through this for the next few weeks. So um, our interview this episode round is with um, Dr. Antonia Dietman. And uh, Antonia is a senior HR leader and a chartered psychologist in the civil service. And oh, in the old world, <laughs> it seems like such a long time ago, before all of this kicked off, Antonia was generous enough to, to give up some time uh, for an interview about her doctoral research, which was all about the power of conversations, of chats, of social you know, contact in, in the workplace. And I think it's a great um, topic to have a look at today because before we share the interview with Antonia um, and her research was on office environments, um, Pilar, I thought we could look at it through the lens of virtual teamwork because so many people are working virtually right now. Um, you've had a chance to listen to my conversation with Antonia. What, what was really front of mind for you? So there's a few things that I don't want to um, do any spoilers, <laughs> but, <laughs> but there's so much in it that I, I don't think I, I don't think I will. Um, so the one, so the one thing that stood out was uh, this is uh, near the two thirds into into the conversation, where so the whole thing is about having these social conversations during the work time at some point, and she'll explain more about that, about the context and, and how she's researched and quantified that. But what, what really struck me was she talked almost about micro-conversations, which meant that we don't have to engage in a long social chat and go into a lot of depth, but it's more about two to five times a day in order to strengthen the team, especially from a manager's point of view, in order to strengthen the team, in order for a bit more team cohesion, for team members to know each other better so they can trust each other more and therefore work better. Mm. That it's two to five times a day of having very short uh, uh, social conversations. And that's the thing that stood out most for me, thinking about how do we do that now? So something that a lot of uh, teams have been doing is hooking up online to, to have a chat with no agenda, not a work meeting as, as such, so not an agenda-driven meeting, but just to talk and talk for a while, etc. And that is one way. Uh, in which we could do it. But I also thought to be very intentional about incorporating those social conversations or those those instigations for a bit of social chat all through the the day and a little bit more constantly. So that was um that was my main thing. I found that really interesting, yeah, that it wasn't on the one hand a huge amount of time necessary. And secondly, that it had such positive contributions to the team especially in terms of uh, increasing levels of trust. And that's, that's beneficial for team functioning, but also at the moment, um, almost certainly more likely to people 
to uh, people being more open and um, maybe, you know, raising their hands virtually, if you like, about challenges, problems, setbacks, because when people are distributed like this and maybe they're experiencing difficulties, it's really important that they're able to talk about that or at least reach out for assistance. Mm -hmm. So the dropping in the social element to the rest of the conversation might only take a moment, but it could really add some value to it. Um, so that really resonated with me as well. I think when people think about social conversations, team leaders might be slightly worried that that would be a big resource drain and that people will spend their days chatting. But it's not that at all, really, is it? It's, it's small, small examples of this across the day that have these positive outcomes. Yeah. And the other thing that stood out was uh, permission and structure. So you highlighted mm. that in the conversation with her, that a lot of the time it's giving permission that for these chats to take place and saying, look, this is also part of work because it helps us do our work better as a team. And also if sometimes we might need to give it structure and I'll leave listeners to listen to how uh, the, the ways in which Antonia suggests so that she's seen this done. But I think that's doubly relevant when we are away from our team members is that we need to structure them as in we need to have maybe a time when they happen or a process by which they happen. Because in the remote world, if you are not deliberate about some of this stuff, it just gets lost. And especially now, as you're saying, when there's mm. so much stuff mm. going on. So creating that space so that they can happen um, is, uh, yeah, it's important. So I'm thinking aloud now, might, might that just be uh, one example could be as a manager calls someone on the team for an update on a project that they also ask them, how's your day been so far? What are you up to? Have you got plans for this evening or the weekend? Not having a discreet, now I'm going to ask you how you are, call. Yeah, well, it depends. <laughs> But I yeah. mean, what, 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 uh, <laughs> what Antonia is saying, that it, that it doesn't have to be the, the, I'm just calling to check up, to not to check up, to check in. But it can be part of that project update and, and that will work just as well. Um, at the moment, maybe also, I mean, maybe it's different now that maybe actually we would appreciate just someone calling just to see how we are. Um, it's it, because we might have had a meeting uh, where we were completely work related and the person has dropped off the call, you know, and so we might just mm -hmm. want to check that actually there was nothing else they wanted to add or that there was anything about the context that they wanted to add. So I think, so in a way, you have to be even more mindful of what is the, the, what is the best way of, of doing this. And it probably varies also from team member to team member. Yeah. I, th I think we need to remember the role of individual differences. We need to remember the role of organizational culture mm. um, and the role that the jobs people are doing will play in this. But broadly speaking, this research demonstrates that the social chats serve a purpose and they have a positive impact on the team. So I would suggest this is about managers and team members finding a way to incorporate them and see how that works for them. Um, especially because of this context. Obviously, the research wasn't done in the no. middle of a crisis. And so we need to understand how much of that is transferable or translatable into this context. But it stands to reason that when people are, um, let's say, distributed in an unplanned way <laughs> and they're getting used to that, that the social contact from the workplace, they might miss that. And it might be something to remember to incorporate and maybe be less task focused and ensure that the tasks are discussed alongside the 
non-work related stuff. And in a way, even in a in a uh, more stable situation, there's also a couple of things. There's one is the relationship of the manager with their team member and building that in, but also creating opportunities for team members to have these kind of conversations in in whatever format we we think is um, is appropriate. So I think also mm-hmm. just looking at those two, building our own relationships and then uh, facilitating the building of other of relationships between others. Yeah, because it's not all top down, is it? It's not all about the manager instigating these. This is as much peers chatting with each other as anything else. Well, and in fact, I think if when you move more deliberately, so maybe not right now, <laughs> but when you move more deliberately to the online space where technology allows conversations to be more across the team, then I think then the role of the manager I see sometimes as as building up that. So stepping away from always having to be manager with team member to facilitate facilitating the team to be a little bit more self-organized. Um, but that is in, in when we have the time to think about it and assess whether it's mm. the right culture, maybe not in an in a emergency situation. So I would, I would turn this around maybe and ask listeners who are interested and maybe for whom this is super relevant right now to consider how much attention they're paying to these social aspects and to what extent they're maybe letting it happen naturally versus is it getting lost in the cracks of workload and anxiety and a bit of panic because for some organizations they're being hit really hard by this because of the sector they work in for some organizations yes there is a lot of organizational disruption but they're trying to carry on as usual with everyone working from home so is this social component getting lost um and maybe why you know, I, I've I've had conversations with people in the last couple of weeks where they don't want to talk to colleagues online because they're worried it's a bad time and they'll be interrupting them when it's quite likely that colleague could really like to hear from them because it's maybe one of the few times they'll be contacted that day because everyone's busy. So maybe just to get people to reflect a bit on this, how much are you doing of this and maybe do you need to do more? And could you experiment as well? We're not saying there's one size fits all here, but maybe think about how much of this there was when you were in the workplace. Has it tailed off since you're working from home? And in sometimes, it, um, sometimes it might have increased uh, because of the situation. And it's interesting to see if it uh, has increased because we have more social chat because of the situation we're in. As time goes uh, by and some of the remoteness of the work maybe sticks around for a few months, to not lose that either, to not lose something that actually we might be doing a lot of now and then we think, well, actually, we we don't need it anymore. But actually, Antonia's research and some gut instinct, (laughs) mainly Antonia's research, uh, tell us that, Mm. that, that that it's important. So it's not just for crisis situations, but all the way through also. It also strikes me that there was a certain banality to some of the chats. You know, they were very everyday, how how are things kind of chats. You know, they weren't um, challenging. Whereas what people might be talking about now when it's not workload is the news, you know, the bad news and the stuff that we're being bombarded with. So maybe this is about the benefits of having chats about the everyday, not the serious, not the crisis itself. Something to think about because... You know, if there's one thing we don't need is more rolling news coming at us, giving us bad news or making us feel anxious. So taking a step back, the research 
suggests that it's beneficial to have these chats. It's beneficial for the team, for levels of trust and all of that stuff, and that it can be created. You know, um, as you'll hear in the, in the uh, interview, you can actually instruct people how to do this, which is, um, which is great if it's not happening already. And we need to look at this through the lens of the present context, which is quite disrupted, which is quite unintended, and it could be leading to a lot of um, challenge for people, um, a lot of anxiety, uh, a lot of upset. So it's a starter. So I would suggest everyone uh, having a listen to this and seeing what lessons they could take away for their own workplace. Pilar, were there any more gems you wanted to share with the listeners before we move to the interview? Um, just to reiterate on the permission and structure. So uh, this is uh, because you talked about how this can be uh, learned and it's a skill that can be acquired. And, and by giving structure, we can make this easier if it's not coming naturally. Uh, and I think... I think that's mainly it. Uh, just to say from a personal point of view, because I really <laughs> engage in the work-related chat, <laughs> that mm -hmm. I'm one of those people who would go, okay, I think I might need to remember every now and then that the, the non-work-related chat is important to others. So I think it's also interesting to uh, think from a self-awareness point of view where we sit as a person uh, in this and how comfortable not as we said they're not big chats but sometimes even just small bits of small talk are difficult for us so it's also interesting mm. to be aware of where we sit and just know that uh, yeah that we need to to adapt so that so that uh, for people in the team for whom it's even more important that they have that space Great. Really good point. Really good point. So I think we've trailed this interview quite sufficiently and hopefully given people a few <laughs> nuggets that they can listen out for. It was great to talk with Antonia. Um, so a big thanks to her for her time. And to issue another trailer, we will be speaking with Antonia again about another research project she was involved in. Uh, but for now, we're going to focus on the power of conversation. So next up, the interview with Antonia. And do get in touch with your questions. I'm going to be able to share a link to um, uh, an article where she has uh, some resources you can download that summarize this research, which is really handy for a sort of a, a takeaway, a PDF. Um, but do get in touch with your, your questions. You can do that on Twitter. We're at MyPocketPsych, or you can leave a longer question or comment on the uh, contact page, worklifepsych.com slash contact and we can pass on any questions um, to Antonia if they're specifically about her research and we can't answer them. So now on to the interview and once again thank you Pilar for your time and thanks to everyone else for joining us again. So I'm delighted to be joined by Antonia Dietman, Dr. Antonia Dietman today. Antonia, how are you doing? I'm really well, thanks, Richard. How are you? I'm super. And I'm delighted we managed to find this time to have a chat about you and about your research. We, we had a really good chat at the Division of Occupational Psychology Conference, which seems like years ago, but it was only a few weeks ago. Was, yeah, only a point. few weeks. <laughs> and you were very kind and agreed to take some time for this chat so we could discuss your research, which got some great exposure at the conference. Um, but before we do, let's set the scene for everyone who's listening. Antonia, tell us a little bit about yourself and your career to date. 
Okay, thank you. Um, so I'm a chartered occupational psychologist. I've been working in the field for maybe about 15, 20 years. Most of that has been in the civil service, working across uh, quite a few of the, the big departments. Um, and I'm now working in the, in the learning and development space, looking after our learning interventions for a, a relatively large agency in the, in the civil service. And my passion's in occupational psychology are the broad topic of development, um, well-being um, and supporting people to really flourish at work. So we got talking at the conference because your research, uh, the paper you were sharing, was getting quite a bit of attention and it got some media attention as well. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I was really, really surprised um, and, and pleased about the, the interest people are showing in my research. And I think it's because it connects with us as human beings and as employees at a really core and deep level. It's about chatting in the workplace. I've given it a more scientifically appropriate term, uh, social conversations at work. Mm -hmm. It's nothing more fancy than chatting at work. And there is really something about the topic and the findings that I've um, uh, come up with uh, that really resonates with people and the experiences they have every day of trying to build relationships with their co-workers. So what got you interested in this topic? Because it is interesting. Yeah, you, you say that. I go, yes, we, we all do a lot of chatting at work. What got you interested in this topic? Um, so maybe about five years ago, I had a, a real revelation at work about my kind of own leadership style. Uh, I was trying to be a very formal person in the office. I thought I had uh, an image of, of how one should behave at work. Um, and it didn't really feel right. It didn't feel authentic. Um, and it also wasn't getting me very far in building relationships. There was always this sort of barrier between me and uh, other people, particularly me and my team. Um, so, you know, I really just got some feedback, analysed my own behaviour and really tried to break down this sort of fake professional um, persona that I'd created. And the route for me to do that was to chat about non-work stuff with my colleagues uh, and with my team um, and we just got to know each other better and I just thought gosh this is such a simple change that I've made um, why don't we care about chatting at work more what does the research say how can organizations support it and what's behind some of the kind of negative attitudes that some line managers and some organizations have that says it's not real work and it's not valued. So initially it was quite a personal revelation that, that started all of this. Yeah, it really was. Um, and it, it was kind of life-changing in my, in my work experience and the way that I would interact with colleagues. And changing your style with people, changing the level of formality, what, what were the, the big changes you saw in how other people responded to you? Other people started to open up about themselves a bit more. Um, and I've since come to label that something as reciprocal self-disclosure. You share something about yourself, the other person will share something about themselves as well. And as the relationship deepens, that um, level of disclosure will also deepen. So people start to tell you things about themselves. People will be a bit more um, open and honest. They might ask for support more. 
whether that's about a personal thing, but actually it spills over into the working um, environment. You know, they'll ask you for support about doing their work. They'll be more open and honest about challenges and risks and issues about what's going on. Uh, and we just felt closer as a team. That's really nice. I mean, that that um, disclosure allows people to know people as people, as individuals, mm. not as job titles or levels of seniority, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what was the most interesting thing you think you disclosed to people around you? Well, actually, it doesn't need to be interesting things. And that's really what's come out of my research, both the literature review that I've done and the, the study that I've done is that these are really mundane topics that we talk about that can be very, very powerful in building relationships. It could be about the new vacuum cleaner I just bought. It could be about the holiday that you're booking. It doesn't have to be these deep personal issues. You may get that as the ladder of reciprocal self-disclosure you know, increases or goes further down. But actually, these surface level, simple topics are a very powerful way to start building an effective relationship with your colleagues. And, and I suppose if someone starts that process with a massive revelation, then maybe it, it, it could put people off. So it is about sticking to those uh, very day to day topics. You're absolutely right. I call that socially icky. When people... <laughs> When people disclose too much too soon. Um, so I don't know if you've had it as a psychologist, Richard. As soon as people hear that you're a psychologist, they might tell you a little bit more than you're emotionally prepared to hear that. Quite day. so. Quite so. Regularly in public and at social <laughs> occasions. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, you can leap in too far down that ladder. Um, so, Let's start off with some simple, easy topics that um, can build that relationship. So what were the, the key takeaways, um, first of all, from your literature review? Because I'm, I'm wondering now as a psychologist, is there a big literature around chatting in the workplace? Uh, no, there isn't. Um, so it was good for me um, starting out on, on a doctoral uh, programme that I didn't stumble into an area that was already saturated and right. had lots of research. <laughs> that would have been disappointing. <laughs> it really would have been. Um, so no, my systematic literature review, I identified 12 different papers, but they were actually made up from 10, diff 10 individual data sets. So a couple of authors had published twice on the same data set. So really only 12 studies that met my criteria um, in a very specific process as part of a systematic literature review. So not very many at all. Um, lots of people talking about the, the, the value of social conversations in building relationships. One of the authors who talked who researched a lot on small talk, calls it the social glue of an organisation. And I've loved that phrase since, mm. I, since I read it. Really beautiful. Um, helps um, business negotiations move along, uh, helps people um, uh, seek help from their colleagues and give a sense of belonging at work. Uh, people find these types of conversations about the non-work topics more personally meaningful. Um, there's one study that's found that it made uh, these conversations before a meeting made that meeting more productive, even more than traditional good meeting practices. So, so there was, sorry. No, just that, that's, that's really interesting to me because uh, I think we get bombarded with advice on how to get the best out of meetings, but I've never seen anyone recommend, have some small talk about what you did at the weekend, 
But you can also see how that will enable people to feel connected to those people and maybe uh, focus and give more feedback or just, you know, knuckle down. Definitely. And this author at the end of uh, at the end of the paper really um, recommends that line managers allow that time before a meeting uh, for people to connect and engage in small talk before they look straight into uh, the agenda. That's really interesting. I, I, I can think of several people in my own network who might find that a little bit frustrating in, in because of their task focus. Um, so is this, is this something that you can demonstrate to managers and team leaders in a quantifiable way? Um, well, yes. So that's, that's what set me off on developing my own uh, intervention study because there wasn't really a lot in that, in those past 10 or 12 papers uh, that, um, that looked at how could we improve the amount of chatting that someone did and how could uh, we measure the impact. Um, so there was quite a few uh, qualitative studies. There were quite a few um, studies that didn't necessarily have a concrete outcome measure. Uh, so that was a, a big gap that I identified. And I was quite interested to see, can we help a group of employees just increase the amount of chatting that they they do just as a pure intervention. And that's what I set out doing. Uh, so I had a group of people who I set the challenge to chat as much as possible over over a two week period at work. And then a group of people who did a, a, a different task. They did a, a, a drawing of their network at, at work. Uh, and I was interested in uh, measuring their uh, working relationship qualities quality, uh, team performance, their workplace loneliness, and then lastly, how acceptable they and their organisation from their perspective saw social conversations at work. Were they frowned upon or were they encouraged? So I had some very clear outcome measures to, to, to study. Mm. And that, that last one is, is very interesting, isn't it? Because of the context in which these conversations can or cannot happen, you know, as we understand it, the, the, the workplace culture, um, I'm sure perceptions of that will play a, play a role here. You're absolutely right. I was really interested right from the start of my doctoral programme about the, the sort of subtle messages that we get in an organisation that these things are or are not done around here. Um, mm. Does your line manager or your team leader actively role model finding out about you outside of work? So holding social conversations. Uh, how much um, do they use terms that for these type of conversations that are quite belittling. If you think of the term uh, small talk, chit chat, gossip, they're all quite mm. demeaning terms. Um, and then I've got a sort of side interest, which I didn't pursue, but I also think they're quite gender laden. They're quite, um, you know, they bring to mind women, that that phrase of, um, you know, go gossiping old women, which has very negative connotations in our society. So why would... Why would you as a team leader want to encourage these things that are socially frowned upon? And also what we're seen to be doing, which is a big issue in a lot of workplaces. Are, are you, do you look busy <laughs> or yeah. are you having a chat? You've got that whole issue of presenteeism. Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, thinking back to our conversation a bit earlier about those that meeting agenda and leaving space between meetings. 
I'm often back to back in my day, one, running from one Skype meeting or one face to face meeting to another. Uh, so I think we overstructure our working days. There's no free space, free chatting space, whether that's to chat about the work or to chat about non-work. Everything has a, a script, an agenda, a call script, a pro forma to fill in. Our working lives are quite constrained, I think, in modern organisations. And where there's an emphasis, um, maybe an unhelpful emphasis on time and motion and productivity, then, um, you know, chatting, having a catch up with one of your colleagues about them as a human being could be seen as unproductive. Absolutely. And you can really get the label that you're you're shirking your work responsibilities. Uh, You're stealing work time at the end of, uh, you know, the real extreme of a negative attitude towards it. You're you're, you're stealing company resources. You're not paid to talk about the football. No, no, exactly. So that's my one mission in life is to convince any line managers uh, who have that view is that chatting is work. It's real work. And uh, and it will really build your team relationships. And and we know that, you know, effective teams are ones that have levels of trust and psychological safety and mutual awareness and mutual respect. So you can see now that that sort of self-disclosure over time can contribute to those things. Absolutely. And we've got tons of research evidence that shows that things like social support are extremely important in mental health, well-being, uh, job performance, intentions to stay, job satisfaction, and a means of getting that social support and developing those feelings between uh, colleagues could be uh, social conversations at work. So if if we um, continue on the premise that that this chatting, the social conversations, um, have all of these positive contributions to make, how do we encourage it to take place more? And how do we give people, uh, to be frank, the skills of having appropriate workplace conversations? Yeah, absolutely. Good question. So the group that I asked to chat more over the over two weeks of my study, I created a toolkit for them. It was a PDF toolkit, so completely remote. I didn't have to bring them to a, a workshop or anything. It contained um, example topics that I'd drawn out from the literature of things that people talk about in social conversations and they are those mundane things that I've mentioned before your hobbies uh, what you did at the weekend uh, appliances uh, technology very simple things family life birthdays all those sorts of things I provided them with places that a a chit chat might happen so that might be around the coffee point might be in the queue for the canteen or in the lift Um, I also gave them suggested uh, phrases to start a conversation. Um, And really the simplest way to start any conversation with a fellow human being is, hello, hi, my name's Antonia. (laughs) Um, But it was, there was something in the permission and the kind of laying it all out for participants that that seemed to help. And then crucially, I gave, I gave people exit um, statements So we've got to remember this is all social conversations in the workplace. I'm not talking about you being at a party and trying to network or whatever. 
so it is perfectly legitimate to say I've got to go back to work now I've got a meeting now I've got to go do this thing Mm. and you can always round off the conversation that way um, so the toolkit contained all sorts of those kind of hints and tips. Um, it contained links to TED Talks and other videos and resources on um, holding good conversations and things like that. Um, and then using goal setting theory, it had uh, a place for people to set their goals uh, and record how their conversations were going. And then also based on sort of game theory and gamification, I had a points challenge. If you started off with the hi, hello, how are you kind of conversation, one point as you moved up to a, a longer conversation, perhaps with a, a colleague that you've never met before, you might accrue more points. Mm, I can see that would be attractive to some people for, for some sure. People, exactly. It was a pick and mix <laughs> toolkit. You didn't have to do all of it. Um, so and, and one of the key kind of takeaways from my whole project is that this simple remote intervention helped people increase the number of social conversations that they had they don't you don't need to have a workshop although I have subsequently developed a workshop um, but it can be done remotely and the word permission really jumped out at me there because cynical me um, and I hope you take this the right way wonders if a post-it note that said you have permission to chat this morning would have had an equally powerful impact because of that strong um, cultural sense that chats aren't helpful. To be actually told you can have a chat could be really useful. I think you're, you're, you're quite right. Um, and that's, you know, and that comes back to lots of things that we know about role modelling and the power of um, hierarchy and people in positional power in organisations for them to say out loud chatting is something we value in our team and look I do it as well is really powerful stuff mm, it's it's about the norms it's a, and, and role modeling you're at you're you're right there you know if, if a team leader is doing it then others will follow they'll see mm. that it's acceptable um and I wonder what role do individual differences play in this kind of thing because in the workplace we, we often see people describing themselves as as quieter and or, or more sociable people describe themselves as extroverts and introverts you know is this something that's going to put some people under a bit of pressure do you think uh, so there's not much in the past literature. There's uh, two studies that contradict each other um, w with regards to introversion and extroversion. One found that extroverts are more likely to engage, engage in small talk. And one found that introverts uh, were more likely to engage in small talk and um, reap the benefits of it in terms of the improved working relationship. Um, and I su suspect it might be something to do with the introverts listening to the answers a bit more. <laughs> could well, if if we want to use those labels, yes, it, it could exactly. well have been. Yeah. So I suppose deploying something like this in an organisation needs to be kind of sensitive to the people that are there and the culture to begin with. But it, as you've demonstrated, it doesn't take a massive investment or a huge change, just an indication that it's helpful to chat and get to know people as people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the past research also didn't find any gender differences. Um, so that that stereotype of, mm -hmm. of, of women chatting, um, not not necessarily so. What I have found in sort of subsequent talks with conversations um, where I've been presenting my research or doing workshops is that the people who self-describe as an introvert actually find 
the the structure around that toolkit, the list of intro statements, the list of exit statements, really helpful. Um, and everyone finds it very helpful when I explain these are simple topics of stuff going on in your life. And they're really short lived conversations, 30 seconds, a minute, move on. And you might do that two or three or four times a day. This is not spending half an hour with someone trying to think of the next conversation to roll into mm. I'm, I'm i can see how that could be quite anxiety inducing for some people so mm. there, there's sort of micro conversations sprinkled throughout the day rather than a, a deep a deep and meaningful uh first thing in the morning you're absolutely right yeah and it's that's that sprinkling i call it being interwoven with the work conversations and you can imagine you know, a scenario, you're trying to schedule a meeting with someone, you know, are you free in two weeks time? And they, you, the other person says, no, I'm on holiday. Then you have a slight digression. Oh, where are you going? I've been there. You might enjoy doing this. You'll circle back to, I've got to schedule that meeting still. Mm. So that was a very short digression, but it was still a social conversation in the workplace. So within another conversation as mm -hmm. well, it's not a, we don't have to exit what we're doing to have this. We can make it part of Yes, absolutely. And one of the, the previous studies was about Chinese business negotiations, and they really found that the Chinese business people um, use that to the full advantage of interweaving the, um, the, the, the small talk chit chat uh, throughout the whole note negotiation and in kind of quite a formalized, stylized way uh, often. Um, but it was it, it wasn't stop start. It was nicely peppered throughout. And if I understand you, this was done in a in a UK uh, context. Uh, are there any evidence um, or, or anything that's been pointed to in the past about uh, cultural differences with regard to, to chatting? Uh, so you're right. Yeah, I did a, a UK um, it's a UK sample. I had a UK sample, and that was also quite important to me because the past research was actually from all over the world, right. with only a couple of studies from Europe. Uh, so uh, French and Swiss um, and the rest were that Chinese study, um, South Africa, uh, lots of different countries. Um, so I think there might be differences in how they're used. So it might that that stylization of that Chinese business negotiation, for example. But it seems to be um, ubiquitous across different uh, countries uh, and the working environment. That's really interesting. I, I've just had a, a flashback to my first ever job here in the UK. And I used to work at Royal Mail. And 20 years ago, there was an organised tea break in the morning and one in the afternoon. And everyone stopped work and gathered around and had a wow. cup of tea and a chat. I, that's mm -hmm. just popped into my head. I've just had that, that memory and how things have changed yeah. uh, in so many workplaces where that would be frowned upon, maybe viewed as a needless waste of time or an expense or a disruption and, and of course now we're looking at it very differently absolutely and it's an interesting take on my my theory that work is overstructured now so that was a structured part of the day but it was a structuring in freedom in mm. a way mm. so you could if you were um uh, you know a team leader or a you know, line manager add catching up to an agenda, you know, that there's structure there, but you're making sure there's time for how are we all doing? How are you? How was the weekend? Because a sense of urgency or a sense of work pressure could lead us to forget to have these conversations. Does that make sense? 
it, it makes perfect sense and it certainly fits with my experience in my own team. Uh, so we have a team meeting every Wednesday and our first agenda item is a uh, kind of a check-in slot for a, a good 15-20 minutes um, and the, we rotate the chair each week and the chair gets to choose the check-in topic and we have got into this lovely tradition of coming up with very random questions like who would you write invite round for dinner, um, oh, what was last week's? I have to think about, oh, if you had, you know, what's one great home care tip that you've come across uh, that you use in your life? Uh, so it's down to the chair to, and it's their interests. Um, but we find out so much really random information mm. about each other. But you're right, it's structured. It is part of the agenda that goes round every week and we'll know the question in advance. But it's a lovely moment of understanding more about your colleagues. Yeah, sharing. And and nothing contentious by the sounds of things. No, no. Yeah. Um, so what about um, employees that aren't co-located? So uh, we see many more location independent workers and remote workers these days. And that meets so many people's needs and it meets economic needs and and organizational needs. But what about chatting? Have, did you look at that? Has anyone looked at that in any great detail? No, they really haven't. Uh, and I certainly didn't. So my my request to my participants who are in the chatting group um, was ideally face to face, but uh, you can use technology. So that team meeting I just described, uh, I've got 30 plus people in my team and we're all over the country. So our, our team meeting is Skype uh, on that Wednesday. And we, so we still managed to use Skype to hold those more informal uh, non-work conversations. But I think just from personal experience rather than any research, you have to work harder at it. You really do. You have mm. to overcome any sort of inhibitions to just quickly send someone a Skype instant message or something, pick up the phone for just a, a chat. Um, it, it's your own kind of barriers that you put in the way, I think, often. Mm -hmm. And I, I, that's probably worth looking at if there's um, a potential PhD the student out there listening Absolutely. that may be looking at what can be done to bring those benefits to those people who work in a different place each time or are permanently working remotely to to the rest of their team. It, it is a concern. I, I hear about it more and more about team cohesion when you've got people working remotely, but also their well-being, their connection, um, engagement, whatever you want to call it. The the absence of those kinds of chats when they're face to face means you probably have to be a bit more ingenious or innovative or purposeful maybe with them yeah i think purposeful is absolutely the right word and um for the team leader to take key responsibility for that but also to try and foster a, a culture in your team where you all care about people being uh, connected and not being isolated uh, and one of the, the areas of interest that has come out of my own research for me is loneliness at work and just how potentially pervasive it is um, and just how harmful loneliness in general can be. Um, social connect, lack of social connections in our life, not just in work, but in our whole life, um, increases the risk of death uh, by the same amount as smoking and uh, more than obesity. It, that's incredible. And, and I was just about to ask you about loneliness, because as soon as we finish this interview, I'm going straight to be interviewed about this topic. And and having read up on it over the last few weeks, it, it just blows my mind the impact of this um, 
it's not a modern phenomenon, but it's ironic that despite being so connected and surrounded by people, that loneliness is a big issue. Absolutely. And, and it's specifically the lack of social connections that um, has the health the negative health benefit, negative health impacts rather. So you do not automatically become lonely just because you've got a fewer social connections. You might be quite happy with that in mm. your life, but obviously you cannot really become lonely without those, without a lack of social connections. So it's not a one for one correlation, but it's a, it's a precursor. Uh, and it really comes from, you know, our, our evolutionary history. We were, um, brought together as sort of human tribes, you know, to, to um, uh, find resources, to protect against mm. danger. Uh, and there's, a, you know, a particular evolutionary theory that links that all to the feeling of loneliness. And if you think back to a time when you've been lonely, it's a really painful experience, deeply emotionally painful experience. And so the theory is that... Um, that pain of loneliness prompted early human beings to come together and form social groups. Um, so, and we've got that legacy of really wanting to do everything possible to um, extinguish that emotional pain. Uh, and that's why um, it, it's so awful for us as human beings now, you know, millions of years later, to feel loneliness and feel a lack of social connections. And it's it's in incredibly um, sad that to think that it, it's still possible to feel loneliness unless you take a step back and you think, well, look, of course you could. Um, the, the lack of social connection could be down to so many things and it may not be obvious to other people. Um, and, and the conversation I've had um, quite a bit, I, I have to say, over the last few years has also centered around people's assumptions about others' motivations in the workplace. You know, well, well, if I say hello, I'll be ignored or they probably don't like me anyway, or, you know, those kinds of faulty thinking patterns. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, you might, if you could get an honest show of hands, I wonder how many people in a large office would say, yeah, I've, I've felt lonely while here, surrounded by my colleagues. Absolutely. And it's not just the faulty thinking patterns in the lonely individual, but it's also uh, their colleagues. There's research showing that um, they believe that it's the, that the, 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 the lonely person's fault in some way. They, they lack social skills. Mm. They're withdrawing themselves. Um, they are underperforming. Therefore, why would I want to connect with them? I'll be dragged down with them. Uh, so it all becomes a vicious cycle. Well, it's quite uh, harsh. Yeah, really harsh. Yeah. And um, something popped into my mind when you were you were talking about that that um, health impact uh, around loneliness. I mean, the the um, I suppose duty of care organizations have around. Uh, I mean, I, I kicked off a client's well-being week this morning. Mm -hmm. um, we hear about well-being all around us. Um, the, the sort of duty of care around social relationships that's quite a muddy area you know we've got health and safety we've got all of these things but in ensuring people feel part of something that's quite challenging isn't it it is um and i think the approach and the route into that that i would take is always to root it in 
the working experience. So you want to create high quality working relationships. You want to create great team performance and, and how you go about building those through social relationships and social connections in the workplace will possibly keep you a little bit safer and not stray into someone's outside life where they may not want you to be. Mm, mm. So, I mean, it's incredibly interesting and coming at um, a research topic like this um, is, is really, really powerful. And what I'm taking from this is that the, the action, the call to action for listeners would be to simply look for opportunities to have those small chats throughout the day. Nothing more, nothing less. Absolutely. Uh, and to... Um, let go of any concerns that you might have. My research, um, building on previous research, found that these small conversations, social conversations happen throughout the day, but not all the time, two to five times a day. And they're very, very short. Um, they're often, as we discussed earlier, intertwined with conversations about work. So people will get back to the work conversation. But they're importantly seen as very important by employees. They value them. Mm. Uh, and actually, the sort of mere exposure over two weeks to trying to chat more to your colleagues uh, made them uh, more accepting of social conversations over that time so they started to perhaps to realize the benefits or, or feel the benefits mm. for example and see how acceptable it is and maybe see that it doesn't derail the day from a productivity perspective yeah absolutely and it, and it's not so not so scary um because you don't have to launch in it right to that deep deep and meaningful level uh, and that was something that i was quite clear on from the start of my sort of thinking around my research is I wasn't really interested in friendships at work. Um, mm. I was always interested in high quality working relationships, which may one day lead to a friendship. Um, but I didn't want to start off with the goal of how do we get more friends at work? That's always struck me as quite an interesting one when when surveys ask employees, do you have a friend at work? Because yes, it's a you key know, Gallup measure it, of, it of is. engagement. Yeah. It is. And I always think, well, what is the relationship between that? Because you could see how someone could be an excellent organizational citizen and, and a phenomenal contributor and, and a really good colleague and not want to have friends in the workplace. Absolutely. And and sometimes those friends only emerge when you've left or the other person has left and then they sort of transfer over into your social world because mm. that's the only way to keep connected with them. And then they become friends. Yeah, the people you had to stay in touch with, you now want to stay in touch with. Mm. It's quite a quite a different dynamic. And so, yeah, this isn't about being being friends with people. It's about just increasing the quality of the relationships and then getting all the benefits that come from that. Yeah, absolutely. Being friendly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal. This is such an interesting topic. Um, I really want to thank you a lot. I'd love to um, link to um, what you've put out there publicly. So if it's okay with you, I'll, I'll share that. Um, there was a, a press release from the BPS. I'll share that in, in the show notes so people can find out a little bit more. Of course. And I've got a, a PDF summary that I can also send you the link to. That will be great. And I'm sure uh, people will be interested in getting uh, under the detail uh, of our conversation on this. Antonia, um, big thanks for your time. It was really interesting talking to you. And I'm, I'm sure we'll have an opportunity to repeat it in the future. My pleasure. Thank you so much for the time.
Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com contact. Thanks for listening.